We are in our last sermon uh, of this series called Rising Hope. Uh, the sermon is ending, but hope lives on, you guys, right? Hope lives on. And that is our, 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 our joy as we have been looking at this question over the last month. Where do you find hope? What do you put hope in? We just heard from members of our own church, our own congregation, about some of the troubles that we have when it comes to hope. That uh, hope is, is easy when things are ideal, right? Hope is it's a piece of cake when life is good. But what happens when you're working with someone with a brain injury? What happens when the church that you've put so much time into is dying and closing? What happens uh, with the depression and the suicidal thoughts? What happens when on August 8th your wife is diagnosed with cancer and August 9th you lose your job? What do you do at those times? Where do you find hope? What do you put your hope in? So I know we've been talking about this all month, but I'm just going to put up a couple definitions of hope as we kind of frame our time. But I, and I'm, I'm listing them two ways. I kind of have hope as the world sees it. And I have hope as Christians see it. And they're similar, but there's a little key difference I'll point out. How does the world see it? It is the expectation that things will improve or get better in the future. That's it that things will get better. I have hope in a better future. I hope this will work out, right? That's what we say. We hope things will work out. I hope I lose weight. Or when you do something bad, you say, I hope your dad doesn't find out about this. Because if he finds out about it, your, hope will, your future will not be any better, right? It will be worse. Then there's the, uh, the negative side, the pessimist that says, um, don't get your hopes up, kid, you know? Don't get your hopes up because you're going to get your hopes up, you're going to think things are going to get better, and they're not, all right? Nietzsche said this. He said, hope is the worst of evils, for it prolongs the torment of men. Oh, that's so discouraging, so depressing, but some of us are right there, right? Don't get your hopes up. The future's not guaranteed to be better and all that. Here's the thing. Nietzsche's right. If we look at things of this world, just the things in this world, things will not necessarily get any better. It's random. Maybe, but there's no guarantee. However, we have a biblical definition. We have this, this definition of hope that comes from the Bible, and it's, there's no Bible verse that doesn't exactly say this, but here's what we see. It's the anticipation of a favorable outcome Right? Same thing, the hope for a better future, but in God's guidance, in God's providence, in God's care, in his direction, we hope that the future will be better. We say things like, I put my hope in Jesus Christ. I put my hope in him. We see hope as the door that God is opening for us. In other words, he's directing us. He's guiding us. He's saying, go through this door. This is where you will find hope. We say that hope is the anchor of our soul. It's something that we can really dig into, that we can, we can have strength from that. And we know that hope ultimately is stored up in heaven, that we as Christians, we know 
No matter what happens here on earth, the future, our eternal future with Christ in heaven will be far better than anything here on earth. So you see the difference there. There's this hope in the world, just I hope things get better. And there's I'm putting the hope under the direction of Jesus Christ. Today I want to restore your hope for those of you who have lost it. For those of you who have been discouraged and been crushed down by maybe some of the events that we just heard about. Or maybe you've been discouraged about the events that happened in the world even less last week. Last Easter, we heard about the, the bombings, the evil in Sri Lanka. At least 250 people are dead because of the evil in the world. I heard yesterday, I was at the mechanic yesterday picking up my car, and I hear breaking news, a shooting in a synagogue in Poway in San Diego just yesterday. These things are they're almost, they happen. We just we expect them now, unfortunately. And so some of you are just discouraged, and your hope is wavering. Today I want to help you restore that hope. For those of you who don't have hope, you're hopeless, you're depressed, you're discouraged, I want to point you in the right direction. One of my favorite movies, Shawshank Redemption, says this. Andy says to Red, he says, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Hope is not dead, friends. Today we want to talk about how we live in hope, how hope is sustained throughout our lives. And here's really what it comes down to. If we're not going to put our hope on the things of this world, if we're going to put it on something bigger and something better, here's what we need. We need to put our hope in someone who's powerful. We need to put our hope in someone who's influential, who can actually make our future better. But as we look at our culture, as we look at society, as we look around us, we don't see too many people that are influential and powerful. Now, there are world leaders out there that are influential and powerful, no doubt. But here's the problem. Think about Germany in the 40s. Think about Russia. Think about Cambodia. Think about North Korea and keep going. But all of these countries had leaders that were powerful and influential. But what's missing? They were not good. They were not good. And world leaders today, they might be powerful, influential, but we can't say they're totally good. And so that leaves only one other option. All right, what's the other option of someone who's powerful, influential, and good? It's our superheroes. Endgame, right? This is the weekend for that. Superheroes are powerful. Superheroes are influential, and superheroes are sometimes good. I took a poll on our, on our staff, because we have all these superhero experts, and I said, you know, tell me, who are the good superheroes? And it came down to Superman. That was on the top of the list. All right, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, uh, Captain America. There was some debate about Batman, you know, he's good. He doesn't kill, so is he good? But that we, just, we scratch him off the list because he's still, that's not his motivation. He's not good. He has other motivations for not killing. So that leaves us with just a few. There's probably others. But let me, I got to break somebody's bubble here. Close your ears if you need to. Here's why we can't trust on superheroes. 
they're not real. <laughs> they're not real, guys. They're real for those three hours when we're in the movie theater and our blood gets pumping and we're like, oh, I have hope in the world because of these superheroes. But we leave that movie theater and they don't exist. I'm sorry to tell you that. We need someone who's powerful, someone who's influential, someone who's good, and someone who cares for mankind. Who does that leave us? Well, fortunately, I have an answer, and I want to share it with you. And the answer today comes from Psalm 33. We'll be looking at that psalm, and uh, it's probably written by David, and it answers this kind of question, that who can you put your hope in? Who's worthy of our hope? Who's powerful? Who's influential? Who's good? Who cares for mankind? Who's that person? And he tells us right from the start, in the first three verses, he starts with these words of praise, with adoration and affirmation. And he gives us the answer. He says, rejoice in the Lord. You righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make music to him with a ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song to him. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. And we just did that. No ten-string harps and no lyres, but we have mandolin. We have other things. We were making praise to him because he is the one worthy. He is the one that we can put our hope into. But what would make someone say this? What would make someone say all this? And here's, here's my thesis. Here's what I, my statement today. That it is fitting for us to put our hope in God for this reason. Because of God's righteous character. Because of his creative power. Because he's, of his sovereignty. That makes him the only reliable foundation for our trust and hope. You hear that? Because of God's righteous character. Right, Because of who he is, because of his creative power, because of sovereignty over all things, it really, he's our only option to put our hope into. And so we're going to walk through this, this psalm, and I'm going to give you about four different reasons on why we can put our hope in him and him alone. And I hope this encourages you. I hope this puts you on the right track, puts your eyes in the right place where you can find hope no matter what happens around us, all right? Let's get into this. First thing he says is this, that you can hope in God because he's good. He is trustworthy. He has a righteous character. I'll read verses four and five. Look at these words that describe him. It says, for the word of the Lord is right and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. Do you see that? Do you see his goodness? He doesn't start with power. He'll get to that. He doesn't get, he'll get to influence. But right here, he starts with his character that the word of the Lord is right. He's righteous. He's trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. He's a just God. And the earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. You guys, it's not just sprinkled here and there. It's not just, you know, over on the other side of the mountains or somewhere far away. The earth is full of his love. Think about that. It's flooded with it. It's everywhere we look because God is good. 
And he's a God of love. His essential character is grounded in all these things. But what would happen if you take this away? What would happen if you take God's goodness away? What would happen if you just take his righteousness or his faithfulness or his love? Just one of those things. Would you still worship him? Well, I mean, nine out of ten, that's not bad. But here's the thing. It would totally change who this God is. We wouldn't worship him because we wouldn't know him. We couldn't trust him. We couldn't put our faith in someone like that. We couldn't put our faith in someone who's so capricious that, that one day they like this and then the next day they like something totally different. So one day we please God this way and the next day we come back and we get his wrath. What well, I thought you liked that. No, I changed my mind. I don't like that anymore. I want you to do this. We spend our whole life trying to figure it out. Every time you get sick, every time your car breaks down, every time your water heater breaks, you're like, well, what did I do this time? He's trying to torture me and mess with me. But God is not like that. God is faithful, loving, and kind, and trustworthy. If you take away one of those things, even last week when we celebrated Good Friday and Easter, it would change everything. Instead of having a God who says, I love you guys so desperately, I want you not to be separated. I want to bring you into my, a relationship with me. I want, you, I want to bring you into my family. The only way to do that is make a sacrifice on my son who is perfect. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to be beaten and bloodied. He's going to take all your sins and on that cross, he's going to put him to death and I'm going to raise him up. That's what we believe. That's a good God who has a plan. But if we have a God, you take anything, one of these things away. Instead, now we have a, a cruel God who's just trying to torture Jesus. We'd say, well, what did Jesus do to make him so mad? He washed his disciples' feet. He took on the form of a servant. I guess God didn't like that. We wouldn't be able to worship that. You see how essential it is that God is good that he is faithful and he's righteous and he's just. And these are just a few of the things, but the scriptures keep telling us all about his amazing attributes, all of these grounded in love. The earth is full of it. His great love. So can you trust in someone that's good? Can you trust in someone who's righteous and, and has justice at the heart of everything they do? We can. That's the foundation. That's where we have to start. But David, as he writes this, he keeps going on. He says, yeah, trust in God because he's good, but, but, but put your hope in him because he's powerful. Listen to this in verses 6 to 9. Look at the power that he has. And we read these verses and we're like, yeah, 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 that's nice. But think about it. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the what? By his craftiness, his skills as a carpenter. He was able to kind of cut and, and measure and shape and mold and chisel. Did he make the world? That, that would have been fantastic if he did. But the power in this, you can hope in him because he's powerful. He can speak something and bring it to life and create it. Nobody else can do that, right? Nobody can. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. 
He gathers the water and the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Just talking about his, his influence, his power. And it says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Do you see the power there? Four times it says this world was created by words, by breath, by his voice. He commanded it and it happened. That's a powerful God. A God that should, not only one that we should put our are hoping that we should have this reverence for, for who he is. Verse, verse 8, it said, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. That's what David is hoping, that this whole world will see this power that he has just to create with his words. But unfortunately, and not probably a surprise to us, the world does not see it that way. The world doesn't see what has created the stars at night and say that must have been spoken by the powerful word of God. And so they said, well, that was an accident. Just happened. Good that it worked out this way. We have hope in our universe. It worked out for good. Well, there's no reverence. There's no fear. There's no awe. But church, we can do better than that. We can see what is made, and we can see that that comes from the powerful word of God, and we're going to be in awe. And that's a God who's powerful. That is a God we can put our hope upon. He is good. He's powerful. But he's also influential. He's influential. He can make the changes. He can make things change. He's sovereign here over a couple things. From verses 9 to 17, or 10 to 17, it talks about his influence over history and politics and all the world, you know, all the stories around the world. We got all of that. But he's also power influential. He's sovereign over our lives, individuals. It's pretty amazing. It says, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stay forever. The purpose of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Basically saying this, that the world leaders and all the people over all history, they make their plans. Says, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to conquer. This is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. The Lord kind of laughs at that. It says, you got your plans. I'll give you a little bit of that, but it's not going to happen. Because your plans are, you have these plans, they're going to end. I'm going to thwart them. I'm going to frustrate them. But then he says this, but my plans, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. Hey guys, nothing lasts forever. Nothing lasts forever. Remember the first car you bought? All right, my first one that I, my first car that I got kind of inherited from the family was 1976 Pontiac Sunbird Safari. I drove that for a few years, and uh, one day at lunch, we left high school to go to lunch because you could go off campus that day, and literally drove the car into the ground. The whole engine block just broke, <laughs> fell on tires, came to a screeching halt, and uh, no cell phones back then, so we had a long walk back to school. Missed fifth period. But then... A little bit later, I bought, a, my first, I bought my first car. It was used. 
1988 uh, Nissan Pathfinder, blue tinted windows, mud tires, four by four. I was so excited. I love that car. I wanted it to last forever. But after the transmission broke, after um, all kinds of other, everything else in the engine broke, after it, there was a fire in my dashboard once as I was driving down Los Alisos, fire, I, that was the end of that. Sold that car for like a couple hundred bucks from it, from some neighbor. Um, it didn't last forever. I learned that things are not made to last forever. There's this planned obsolescence that they plan, that they make, say, we're going to make this thing last maybe about a week longer than whatever the warranty is for, and then it's going to break. Right? That, they didn't used to do that. Back in the 50s, whatever, they'd make those refrigerators that would last forever. That's why your, your parents still have those refrigerators in their garage. They suck a ton of energy, but they still keep things cold. But then they said, you know what? We're not selling anything anymore. We've got to make things break. Nothing lasts forever except for this, God's plans. He says, my plans will last forever. No other nations, no other king, no other ruler. Your plans are going to have a short shelf life. But my plans will last forever. And my plans are good and righteous and holy and full of love. That's somebody I can hope in. He goes on, he talks about the nations, and then he talks about people. In verse 13, he says, From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. When I hear that, I think about being in you know, a big hotel or something like that and just seeing you know, people kind of running around doing their thing. I don't know them. I don't know where they're going. This is not the image that God has. It's not that he's sitting there and just sees people scurrying around, but he sees them. He knows them. He knows their name. He knows what they're doing. He knows where they're going. He knows what's on their heart. He knows what they're anxious about. He says he watches them who lives on the earth. And then it says in verse 15, he who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. Basically, he's saying, I have influence to not only see them, but to change a heart. He can change your hearts. He can change your kids' hearts. He can change your neighbor's hearts, whoever, your boss's hearts, anybody. He's influential that way. He doesn't just see and observe, but he's influential. He can speak and change the heart. We see how vulnerable we really are, aren't we? He continues, he says, No king is saved by the sides of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse, listen to this, a horse is a false hope, a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. So this is what we do. This is what we do. We try to save ourselves. We put our, and this is what he's saying, you put your hope back then in horses. Okay, we don't, put our hope in horses so much anymore. We put our, takes in the, our, our, our hope in, in the A1 Abrams tank or in the B2 bomber or things like that. Or here in, our, in this culture, we put our hope in other things, retirement, All right, our wealth, our families, our kids, our cars, our education, our fitness, our diet, our food, and on and on it goes. We put all of our toys in that. We put our hope in that. And then we put it all together in a big picture and we put it on our Christmas card at the end of the year and send it out and say, that's my horses. 
That's what I put my faith in. But friends, it says the horse has great strength. It's mighty, but it doesn't save. These things that I just mentioned are great, but they are not saviors. They're gifts. These are gifts that God has given, but they will not save us. We cannot put our hope in those things. We can't put our hope in our job because we'll have it today and then it's gone tomorrow. We can't put our our hope in our health because we have it today and then we're sick. We have to put it in something else. It's powerful, influential, good. So let's have the right perspective. These things are good, but they will not save. We need something else. The last thing he says here in verses 18 and 19 says that you can hope in God for all those reasons, but for one more reason, is because he cares for his creation. He cares for mankind. He saves them. He says, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love. We hear it again, his unfailing love to deliver them from death, to keep them alive in famine. Basically, he's saying that he's got you. He's got your back. He's got his arms around you from beginning to end, from the beginning of your life to the end of your life. He's got you. That he cares for you. And he wants to bless you. He wants to pour his blessing on you. And it's so strange to me that we in the church, we go, we start our days, we go through our days without looking for this blessing. That God is there saying, I'm going to just ask me for it. I'm going to open up heaven. I'm going to pour blessings on you. But we get up grumpy. We get mad at our kids because they're late. We complain because the coffee's too cold. We get to work. We're frustrated at work. We don't want to be there. We don't like our coworkers. We don't like what we do. We come home. We're frustrated with traffic. And dinner's late. We had to eat out again or whatever. And we go to bed grumpy. And we're just sitting there and like, is this all there is? Is this all there is to life? And the answer is No. Don't have to be that way. God says, I'm going to pour out blessings on you. Friends, we can do things differently. That's maybe the way the world does it, but we don't have to do that. Instead, wake up, and before you put your feet out of bed, just like, Lord, I'm yours, and I'm ready to receive. And Lord, may you bless this home with just with your comfort and your care and just let this place be a place of love. Fill me with contentment for whatever happens. Let me be ready. Let me reflect you. Lord, pray, bless me. So why? why? So I can keep it to myself and hoard it and kind of look at everybody like, look at all my blessings. I got blessings. You don't. No. So that we can bless others. So that when we're driving to work and traffic's bad, we're content. It's like, oh, it's all right, more time for me to pray or listen to worship songs or listen to a sermon online or just talk to my kids or just think about things. More time for me to do that. When you get to work, you get in work and just say, hey, everybody, it's a great day. Great day to be alive. So happy we have jobs. So happy we get to work together. Let's do something truly great today. You will freak them out. What a great day to use the gifts and my skills to glorify God to make my employer successful, but to give praise to God and go through my day and just be a blessing to others, people that come in our lives, a surprise, interruptions and all that. It's okay because God planned it. I want to be here. I'm going to bless and I'm going to come home and be thankful for the food that's on our table or that we have to go out and buy, whatever it is. But you see, God cares for you. We got to receive that. 
That's a God we can put our hope in. He says all that. Rejoice in him, you guys. Rejoice in him. Praise him because he's worthy of it. He's good. He's powerful. He's influential. And then we get to the end and we see the response. There's a response here for us. How do we respond to a God like this? Respond with this affirmation of hope. He gives three words. He says rejoice or wait, rejoice, and hope. He says this in verse 20. He says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help. He's our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we will trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This is that benediction. This is the summary. This is all of it. I'm going to hope in you. That, that word hope and that word wait are very, very similar in Hebrew. Sometimes it's the same word and it's translated different ways. Sometimes they're different words. But they go together and you can see that. When we hope in someone, we'll wait for someone. How many of you guys like waiting in lines? The grocery store or wherever. You like that? There's one line that drives me crazy more than any other line. There's one that just, I, I, I can't do it, and I won't do it. And it's probably not what you expect, but here's the line that I hate more than any line. The Costco gas line. You know, I mean, I don't know if you're Costco members, but Costco, some of them have that gas station. And I'm just trying to go to Costco, and I can't park because there's this line of like 45 cars in line that are just waiting there. They're idling, using gas, using their own time so they can get, like, save like $3, you know, total. And I'm like, there are, there are gas stations on every block of the city. There's no line. You don't have to wait. Yeah, it costs you another $2, but you don't have to wait. To me, I cannot do it. I will not do it. I will never, I'll, I will get gas if there's no line, but I hate, that's the line I hate. That's me. That's me. I'm not trying to convince you. If you like waiting in line, go for it. But I know you have your own lines that you don't like waiting for. And the reason we don't like waiting in there is because it's not worth it. For me, I don't want to wait in that line because it's not worth it. The time, saving the $2, is just not worth it for me. Okay? But think about it this way. You wait when it's worth it. Some of you sit in lines, watching Endgame, that's worth it for you, right? You have no problem waiting for that. You have no problem waiting in line to get your new Apple phone because it's worth it. You have no problem waiting at customs at the airport for your loved one to return from a journey that you've been missing. You have no problem waiting in a hospital room when your loved one or your niece or your nephew is in surgery and you're going to wait for them. You're not going to eat you're not going to sleep. You're going to be in an uncomfortable room. But you're going to do it because it's worth it. You're going to wait for your kids to come home from that first day of school and hear all about it because it's worth it. See, friends, you will wait for the people that you love. And God tells us, son, wait for me. And we get frustrated. Oh, serious. Do I have to wait? Or we say, I'll wait for you, Lord. I'll wait for you. Why do we wait? Why does he say wait? I don't know. I don't know. There's probably a lot of reasons that are way above my mind. 
But I think there's one reason why we wait. It's because I have my plans. Kind of like earlier in this chapter where it said the nations have their plans and he foils them. I've got my plans. Say, Lord, I need you to hurry up because I, this job looks really, really good. I think this is the perfect job for me. So hurry. And make it happen. Well, whatever it is, I've got all my plans. But the longer I have to wait, that plan falls through. Somebody else gets hired. This one ends. This one's not an option anymore. And pretty soon I'm sitting there saying, I waited for the Lord and now there's no options. And he's saying, exactly. None of your options. But let me show you my options. Let me take care of you. Let me bless you. So how do we respond to a God like this? We wait for him. The next thing, we praise him. We praise him and we trust in him. I'm just gonna, while I'm waiting, Lord, I'm just going to praise you. I want to keep my eyes on you. I want to lift up your name. I want to exalt your name through all the earth. That's what I'm going to do while I wait because I'll trust in you. And the last thing, may we put our hope in him, finally. This is where our hope goes. Not in our horses, not in all of our other plans, not in other world leaders, or not in superheroes, but we're going to put our hope in him. So at the beginning, we heard about all these things that discourage us. We heard about these things that try to rob our hope. We've heard about the things that are happening here in this congregation and in our lives, and I know you have your own. We also talked about things in this world that discourage us. And we said, where is your hope going to be? What are you going to hope in? You know, hope in what the world has to offer? You're going to be disappointed. It might work out. Probably not. Or are we going to hope in someone who's powerful, influential, cares for you, and loves you? a good person. That's where I'm putting my hope. I hope that you do the same. Put your hope in God. Because He loves you. And it doesn't end there. Because He shows us what the love looks like when He gave us Jesus Christ. When He gave us Jesus, that's where He displayed all of the love. All of it. Saying, I'm going to pour out my love in this world that's going to come through Jesus. Put your faith in him. Trust him as your savior. And come to him. And you will find hope. I don't know where you're all at. I know some of you, you regulars here, you've been here a lot. Some of you are new. I don't know where any of you are at. Where you really, you put your hope in. Maybe come in here today, you kind of put your hope in some of these things from the world and you come a little bit discouraged. I want you to leave with hope. That hope is grounded in God. That hope is seen in Jesus Christ. And that's something we can hope in for now and for eternity. Because I can't guarantee what the next few years look like. But I can guarantee what eternity looks like. No more tears, no more pain, no more hopelessness. That God is there. And there is joy, and there is peace, and there is love.